Week one of the NFL preseason is in the books, which means at QBList.com, we've got our What We Saw article up. We've recapped all the fantasy-relevant takeaways from every preseason game. I covered a couple as well. Um, some nice nuggets in these articles, like, uh, you know, Keontae Ingram, I thought looked pretty good for the Arizona Cardinals, a deep running back sleeper there. Uh, Chris Evans for the Bengals looked good. There's lots of interesting information we can glean from these preseason games. So uh, please check out our What We Saw article. We put a lot of time into it, and there's a lot of great stuff in there. Um, but we are here for a different reason today. I am Eric Smith, the editor-in-chief at QV List, and I am joined by Ryan Heath, as always. Uh, he has an awesome new article out called, um, well, it's about juggernaut running backs. It's uh, he, he changed up the title from last year. It was league-winning running backs. We're calling them juggernaut running backs this year. And uh, the, the goal of this episode today is to try to find your juggernaut running back in the first two rounds of the fantasy draft. So we're going to go through Ryan's study go through the first two rounds of ADP and help you out with which running backs can win you your league and which ones can't. So Ryan, um, this is another awesome article. I hope everyone checks this one out as well. Um, what have you been up to? Um, are you uh, just kind of grappling with the news that both Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson are uh, nursing soft tissue injuries right now? Because I was not ready for this world uh, before the preseason. I was all over Daryl Henderson. I was ready for the Cam Akers injury, the inevitable injury, and now they're both hurt. So um, how, how should I feel about this? Yeah, so anytime I see news in the preseason, it kind of goes one of two ways. Number one is, does it confirm my prior beliefs or does it not? And if it confirms them, then I accept that news and I completely integrate it into my worldview. If it doesn't, I just ignore it. But see, I'm really big on Daryl Henderson. I have a ton of Daryl Henderson, as we've talked about. I don't have much Cam Akers. I saw that blurb and I just didn't know what to do with it. It both confirmed my priors on Cam Akers being a fade and it went against my priors on Daryl Henderson being a good value. So I, it just did not compute. I saw the blurb and just got, got rid of it. Wasn't really sure where to file it mentally. So I, I'm already short-circuiting, and it's only week one of the preseason. Yeah, it's hilarious. I spend the whole offseason. I think I'm one step ahead, you know, getting Daryl Henderson. And uh, we haven't even got to the season. They're both hurt. Probably not serious, but, you know, they're on the injury report. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even think about this scenario. So we're, we're, we're really doing great work here looking ahead at the uh, the running backs landscapes across the NFL. So, But running backs is what we're going to talk about today. So like I said, um, we're going to help you find your juggernaut running back in the first two rounds of your draft. So, Ryan, uh, just, you know, get into this a little bit. Tell us about your study, um, some of the criteria you use. Just lay down the groundwork for this. Yeah, so the first thing I had to do with this study this year to improve it, as you mentioned, was to rename it because the term league winner has just been murdered by all of fantasy football. And it, I can't put my name on anything that says that anymore. So now it's called the juggernaut running back study. Uh, so really the process behind this hasn't changed much from last year. Basically, we are looking for running backs that are capable of putting up at least 22 points per game in PPR throughout an entire year. So Derrick Henry putting up eight games of 24 points a game last year, that's not good enough. It didn't last into the playoffs. He wasn't there for you. We would rather have the Jonathan Taylor that is just barely putting up 22 PPR points per game throughout the entire season. Taylor was the only running back that qualified last year, and it that was pretty good for as far as making me look smart went because Taylor was one of the running backs that I identified as having a good chance to become a juggernaut. Uh, so the way this article sort of works is I look at five different stats. Those are ADP, age, speed score, 
their highest previous target share and the implied win total from Vegas of each of the running backs teams. And I do that for all of the running backs that have been juggernauts since 2011 using some fancy, not really fancy stats, some basic stats like standard deviation and the empirical rule. I can determine what most juggernaut running backs will look like going forward. And then I can compare the attributes of juggernaut running backs historically to all of the running backs that are being drafted in the first couple rounds of fantasy drafts this year. And we can decide basically which of these players have those high ceilings, who is most likely to put up at least 22 PPR points per game the entire year. That's really the process behind all of this. And I had a lot of fun, uh, just kind of tweaking it and seeing how Taylor affected things and coming out the other end with some strong takes on some players in the first couple rounds. Yeah. And I really like the study. Um, you kind of nailed the range for what we're looking for, for these uh, juggernaut running backs, for sure. I've got my spreadsheet. I've been, you know, making myself for years here. And um, I always sort by the best points per game running back seasons over the past three years, just to, just to really see the ceiling that these players have. And there really is a big leap once you get above 20. Um, that's kind of really where the difference is at, at running back. So that, that 22 to 25 range, those are the league winners. Those are the the, the Dalvin Cooks, the Derrick Henrys, those types. So um, after you, you mentioned you made a few tweaks this year. I know some of it was because of the season that Jonathan Taylor had last year, changing a little bit. Um, you had a few more, more t- tweaks to the study. But what all did you change this year, apart from the title on your, uh, your juggernaut running back study? Yeah, so one of the bigger tweaks was because Jonathan Taylor put up the lowest high previous previous target share of any running back that ever became a juggernaut that naturally pulled down the cutoff for target share that we consider these guys against so it is now easier to be a good juggernaut candidate even if your target share wasn't as high as if i were looking at you last year so joe mixon is a really good example of that he had about a 10.5 percent previous high target share In 2021, he would have gotten knocked for that, but this year he didn't because Jonathan Taylor just showed us that it is possible to have a juggernaut season with a lower previous target share. So that's kind of how the process naturally adjusts. The other big adjustment that I made was I just completely took out NFL draft capital from consideration. I got a lot of pushback last year about how this was really unfair for players like Austin Eckler and Aaron Jones who were drafted later in the real NFL draft, but worked their way into roles that were really just as valuable as the Christian McCaffrey's of the world. Uh, So I took a bigger look at it. I looked back even further than 2011. I found that there were players who even went undrafted in the NFL that got to juggernaut status. Arian Foster and Priest Holmes both did it in this century. So that was convincing enough for me to just completely ax NFL draft capital from the process. And I think that gives you a more even playing field for what these players are capable of this year, rather than just hyper fixating on the draft capital data point that probably isn't relevant, especially when a running back is on their second contract. I I don't think teams care what round Aaron Jones and Austin Eckler were drafted in five years later. 
Yeah. And I think you mentioned in the article that, I mean, that's kind of factored into ADP, right? I mean, if there's a rookie who's a sixth round pick, we're not going to draft him as high in fantasy football. Uh, but if he's a rookie first round pick at running back, we're probably going to take him pretty early, like pre-saw this year. So I, I agree with you. I think we're kind of already factoring that into ADP because uh, we're pretty smart as a fantasy community, as, as much as we mess up some of this stuff. Uh, overall, the, the hive mind is pretty intelligent here. So um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really great intro. I'm not sure if there was anything else that you wanted to uh, tap into here, but I, I think really the, the big takeaway here is um, we're looking for these ceiling seasons and we want to apply this to the first two rounds and we're going to help everyone uh, pick the right running backs here. So you got anything else before we launch into that? Not really. I think we can sort of just go through the first two rounds now and I can comment on how each of these running backs did in the juggernaut process. Okay. So we've gone through the first two rounds before kind of looking at our, our rankings. Um, we're going to look at this from an ADP perspective. We thought it made sense. Um, just when you're ready to draft, you're looking at that ADP sitting in your app or on your uh, spreadsheet or whatever. Um, this is the order they're going to come off the board. So we're looking at the first two rounds here um, with fantasy pros ADP. Uh, we did sneak in, I believe a, a 25th player here. We'll get to him at the end because he was worth including, but um, we're going to go through, uh, start with, the number one ADP player on fantasy pros. And that is Jonathan Taylor. So uh, Ryan, tell me how Jonathan Taylor fits into the juggernaut RB model. Yeah. I mean, no surprise. He fits in pretty well. He was the only juggernaut last year. I would say he's probably one of the best bets to do it again this year. Uh, it's not that uncommon that we see guys repeat as juggernauts. Uh, Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey have both done it. And Taylor still has room to grow off of that season that he just had. His target share was still only around 10%. That is his only knock in the process. He's still getting knocked for target share, believe it or not. Uh, but I, he just showed that he can be a juggernaut even without an insane target share. And if that does spike, then he's looking pretty good. Uh, I my If I have to nitpick on Taylor, I would say that you're not getting that much better of a bet than you were last year when you could draft him at the end of round one. But if you're sitting there with a top two pick, I have no issue with you taking Jonathan Taylor. Very, I know that's not a hot take, but he, yeah, he looks very good as far as the juggernaut process is concerned. Yeah. And I know I've been kind of copping out on this all year, but I just, I think between him and McCaffrey, it, your league type depends a lot on it at pick one. And um, if it, if there's not a big overall prize, then I totally see the argument for taking Jonathan Taylor first. If you're trying to win on underdog for a big best ball tournament, then I'm going Christian McCaffrey. So yeah, Jonathan Taylor rock solid. We know that um, number two on ADP is Christian McCaffrey, who we just mentioned. Um, I was actually kind of excited to see what the results were here with McCaffrey and this model, because um, it kind of shows that maybe the model's working here, right? Like McCaffrey had no knocks in the past. Yeah. So he obviously was a juggernaut twice before, uh, was kind of the poster child for this entire process, but we look at him this year and he actually has three knocks, which is pretty bad. We've never seen a juggernaut with three knocks before. Uh, it's pretty rare to even see one with two. So I, when I finished this study, I was like, wow, Christian McCaffrey has three knocks. This really goes against my priors of McCaffrey having the best ceiling. But then I thought about it a little more. I think Christian McCaffrey still has the highest ceiling in fantasy football. But I think how we can interpret him having more knocks than a player like Taylor is that there's just less of a likelihood that he reaches that ceiling. So his knocks were for team win percentage. And that, that one's a little tenuous because if the Panthers hit their over, 
then at the end of the year, looking back, McCaffrey would only have had two knocks and that, that would be completely within the realm of possibility. Not really, not that weird if he were to have a juggernaut season on two knocks. Uh, but I mean, then his other two knocks are his speed score, which he's obviously been knocked for his entire career and that has never slowed him down before really. And his third knock is his age. He will be 26 at the end of the year. And that we, it is pretty rare for running backs over the age of 25 to have a juggernaut season. Only DeMarco Murray and Jamal Charles have done it in the last decade. So I, this has kind of made me retreat to your very safe take of, yeah, I, uh, Jonathan Taylor, one one in normal leagues, McCaffrey in the tournaments like that. That's very cliche. I think, as you've said before, but I, I think that's the correct way to approach it now. Yeah. But like I said, I was just happy to see the model kind of adapting and, and the age. I mean, that is a new situation with McCaffrey. He's probably still okay, but uh, we should see the model adapt to that because that's when you start worrying about the injury knocks, you know? So um, I was just happy to see that in general. Um, again, I'd still be happy to take McCaffrey, but um, and I totally see the argument for number one, but he is starting to show some red flags here. And I, I think that uh, depicts reality very well. So um, let's get into number three here, according to ADP. Um, it's actually Austin Eckler. I was kind of surprised. This is where I have him on my rankings. I didn't realize his ADP was up here. So I think it shows just how much people want their running backs early in these drafts. Um, what do you think about Eckler from a juggernaut RB perspective? The people do love Austin Eckler. I've never, I, it, it's very hard to fade him and find people that agree with you for some reason. I, I don't know if it's just because he was one of the better early round picks last year and people are emotionally invested, but yeah, when you look at his profile, he does have two knocks. Uh, so a juggernaut season does isn't out of the question there. Uh, he he's knocked for his speed score and for his age. When when I kind of dig deeper into the Austin Eckler profile, I I've talked about touchdown regression for him on this podcast before. Uh, but I looking even closer at what he did last year, he set a career high in rush attempts. He set a career high in rushing touchdowns per game. He scored a rushing touchdown in three out of four games. It was never above one out of five before in his career. So that that was a very big change in usage uh, that I'm not totally convinced is going to stick around. And he set a career high in routes as well last year. But also lows in these efficiency stats like yards per route run and targets per route run when you look at his receiving so when he gets up to this higher volume, it seems like he becomes less efficient. That's that's most running backs that aren't absolute freaks. So I kind of looking at that full picture, he hit like 21.5 points per game last year in PPR. I, I think that really is his ceiling. I think he is a very good running back. I don't think he has an amazing shot of being a juggernaut. Yeah, and I mean... I can definitely see the concern with the age at 27. Um, that's it's that's the age that we worry about at running back. I will say, if you do want to make an argument for Eckler, he's got 889 career touches. That's not nearly as much as a lot of these other 27-year-old uh, running backs like Ezekiel Elliott, Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara. So he does have that going for him, but um, he definitely doesn't have that prototypical bell cow you know, build like they do either. So um, I understand the concerns. Uh, we get pretty quick into uh, lots of concerns at running back. So I am much happy to take the plunge on Eckler, but um, it, it you could easily make the case for these next tier receivers in front of them. So um, I, I think we've got our first receiver up here. We're still going to talk about the receivers here, even though this is a juggernaut uh, running back episode, but um, with an ADP of four, we've got Cooper Cup. 
Um, I guess the question here, Ryan, is just um, are there juggernauts below him that should be going ahead of him, or are we just need to attack the, the safety here at receiver with Cup? Yeah, I don't really think that I would push up any of the later juggernauts over Cup. As I've been saying a lot the last couple of days, as people have reacted to this article, if you want safety in the first round, you should be drafting these elite wide receivers. They bust at much lower rates. They score more points per game on average most of the time. If you're not counting those few running backs that will become juggernauts. When you're drafting in the first round, if you're drafting a running back, you're going after that ceiling. Otherwise, you should be drafting a receiver. So, I mean, really going to Cup, I, I would take him over Eckler because I don't think Eckler has a great juggernaut-esque ceiling. So if, if you look at Cup, I, he scored more fantasy points than Josh Allen last year. Like, what, what do you want me to say? He <laughs> scored more fantasy points than any player since CMC and Lamar Jackson in 2019. That's how you have to go back a couple of years to find any position in fantasy football that outperformed what Cooper Cup did last year. Yeah. Yes, his target share was a career high. His efficiency spiked. It's not that crazy, though. Like, I, I feel like people think Cooper Cup is like a one-hit wonder. He's just going to go away. But he's been a top 12 receiver before. Last yeah. year was only the fifth year of his career. That That's a fairly normal career arc for receivers. Peak production is usually around year year five through seven or ages 28 through 30 that that's not all that strange so i think cooper cup has probably at least a couple more good years left in him especially if stafford stays healthy so i wouldn't be overthinking him if you need an off-ramp into safety and i would say cooper cup's a pretty good one yeah, and if you look at the ADP we're going on here, uh, if you did take Cooper Cup at four or any of these receivers, uh, on the way back, there are three relatively interesting juggernaut RB breakout candidates that uh, you could possibly get on the way back and still get your juggernaut. So we'll get to them later. But I, I do think it's there are enough options at running back where taking a receiver at four uh, makes a ton of sense. So um, let's get to number five, according to Fantasy Pros ADP, and it is Derrick Henry. So I feel like this study was created for Henry, and he's got – Pluses and minuses on this one. So go ahead with the, uh, with Henry. Yeah, this study is kind of just my excuse to fade Derrick Henry every year. <laughs> I need to find a new one, it seems, but that that's fine. We, we can just go into it. So once again, Derrick Henry has three knocks this year. Uh, that That is a double knock for age because he's going to be 28 at the end yep. of the year. And another knock for target share. Getting close to a double knock, but not quite. Uh, his previous high target share over a full season was 6.6%. Uh, I Everybody has kind of, I've at least I've been seeing a lot, people say that Derrick Henry's receiving game chops just got so much better last year that he suddenly was commanding a lot more targets. E even last year, he just had two and a half targets per game. That That is not like amazing all-purpose back stuff. He ran a lot more routes, I will give that to people. Uh, and he did have his best yards per out run since his rookie year, but that, that was still just 1.28. That that's good. It's not amazing. That That's not a number where we say, wow, that guy should get used in the passing game more. It's like, okay, he was adequate. Um, it, looking sort of at the context surrounding Tennessee, we know Derrick Henry struggles in negative game scripts because of those two and a half targets per game. The Titans won 12 games last year. Their over-under is just nine and a half this year. 
They did overperform it last year, but I the Titans have been a mystery to me for the last three years and how they've continued to be so good. So I, I think really it comes down for Derrick Henry to be a juggernaut over a full year. He either needs to be insane over 17 games like he was over eight games and just double that sample size of crazy efficiency on the ground and crazy touchdown production, or he needs to see a target share spike like we have literally never seen before in the history of the NFL. So I, that that's my case for fading Derrick Henry. I'm sure he will absolutely own me in about <laughs> three months. So check back on that one. Yeah, and you're right about, I mean, the difference last year for Henry, why he had such a great season on a point-per-game basis. It was not targets. Uh, they did not go up that much, like you said. It was not even, like, rushing touchdown percentage, like, based on his volume of carries. It was pretty standard for Derrick Henry. Uh, it was just the pure rushing attempts per game. He was up to over 27 carries a game. Years before were more like 24 or 20. So um, that's how you get him up to 24 PPR points per game instead of 20 points per game, which is still pretty good. But uh, I agree with you. Uh, the age is just a big-time concerned so i've got him about 10 overall in my overall rankings i'd still use a first round pick on him but not this high so um, let's get on to adp number six here justin jefferson uh same story as a with cooper cup anything to say here about jefferson yeah pretty much the same story as cooper cup i do prefer him slightly to cup uh like we talked about last week with chris sanzo and his wide receiver rankings Jefferson is about as safe as safe gets. He's a third year player. He had a 26% target share his rookie year, 30% last year, over two and a half yards per route run in both years. And Minnesota could be even better with the new offensive system. So I, I see very few ways that Justin Jefferson disappoints this year. So if you don't really want to buy into this whole, I'm going to take a risk and shoot for ceiling at running back early in the draft, please just take a wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, the only hesitancy I could find with Jefferson is with a new offensive coordinator, we've seen offenses struggle the first year. So maybe it happens here in Minnesota. That's like it. So, I mean, you could take him number one overall, and I don't think too many people would uh, think twice about that one. So, um, yeah, just Justin Jefferson, draft him pretty much whenever these running backs scare you off. Just take him. Um, ADP seven overall. Here he is, Najee Harris. I'm sorry that I've turned you into a huge defender of Najee Harris. I was not trying to do this. Um, but let's talk about Najee here. Yeah, it, it is really exhausting defending Najee Harris on Twitter these days. He, for some reason, he is his ADP is pretty high because it seems like more casual fantasy players really like him, probably because he's young and was productive last year. That yeah. maybe people, <laughs> I think the industry people overthink things a little bit when it comes to these types of guys. Najee Harris has zero knocks in the juggernaut process. He also had zero knocks last year, and I would say met his ADP. I think you were pretty happy if you drafted Harris in the second round last year. Now you probably have to spend like a mid-late first on him. I'm still okay with doing that because there is a ceiling here, despite what people tell you. Uh, as I was saying, all of fantasy Twitter just is whipping themselves into a frenzy trying to figure out how the Steelers offense is going to drag down Harris this year and how he's the biggest regression candidate. But the, these are the facts. I The only argument that I think you can make to say that Najee Harris is going to regress based on the offense is if the Steelers pass significantly less. Yes, Harris was productive in through the air last year. He had the, I believe he led the running back position in targets. His target share looks great 
on the juggernaut process. So I, I think that's the most common idea is that, oh, well, even if his target share stays at 14%, then the targets are going to come down because the pass attempts will go down. But here's the thing. You can't simultaneously believe that the Steelers are going to be a much worse team and win many less games and also believe that they're going to pass significantly less. I, I think it's totally possible the Steelers are like a seven-win team this year. I think that's where their over-under is at and that they don't throw quite as much. Uh, but when, when you look based on game script at the Steelers' pass rate last year, they were second overall just in pass rate, but they were just 11th, just slightly above average when the game was within one score. So most of that passing that was taking place was because the Steelers were trailing. And guess what? Najee Harris is an all-purpose back. Obviously, play plays on all three downs, led the position in snap share. Not that he needs to do that again, but he he can thrive in any game environment. If the Steelers are better, great. Najee Harris scores more fantasy points on running plays than when the Steelers are passing. I did the math on that. I promise it's true. So I and I don't want to say that Najee Harris is a like clear cut, obviously he's going to be a juggernaut. He's not going to regress. He's not going to bust. I, I think it's totally possible. You draft Najee Harris and you get like the RB eight or RB seven in points per game this year. And you're like, eh, whatever. But I, <laughs> there is a ceiling here, despite what people tell you, if the Steelers get any better on offense, if he runs hot on touchdowns, there are just so many outs for Harris to put up a really good season. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, this is the type of profile that scores, you know, 17 touchdowns randomly. I know it's not a good team, but like they're, well, they are a good, they've been a good team for years and maybe the offense won't be great. But I, yeah, I think this is a good environment. Um, I watched the Steelers, uh, what we saw game, uh, their first preseason game against Seattle. Uh, we saw all of the quarterbacks in. I thought Trubisky looked okay. He played the least. He started. He looked fine though. Um, and, you know, they played uh, a guy named Jalen Warren quite a bit at running back. Uh, he, he played most of the game after Anthony McFarland came out. He had five targets, four receptions, 30 yards, and a touchdown. Like, I mean, this was coming from, you know, all three quarterbacks. But, like, they're going to throw the ball to the running back still. It hasn't changed just because Roethlisberger is not there. So, um, I'm in on Najee. I mean, I've got him eight overall. So, like, I'm taking a receiver over him that's below him in ADP. So, even though I'm high on him, I'm, I, I'm with you. I'm not, like, rushing to get him in every single draft. But I just – I don't see the issue with him here. He's young. He's going to get the ball a ton. Uh, go with that and figure it out later. So um, I think that's enough on Najee Harris. We've talked about him a ton. So let's get on to number eight for ADP, Dalvin Cook. I think he's seen a little bit of a surge here. It uh, looks like all of his legal troubles are behind him. Vikings are getting a little bit of hype for their offense. So uh, what are you thinking? Does your model like uh, Dalvin Cook here? Yeah, the juggernaut process does like Dalvin Cook. He has actually never been a juggernaut before over a full season but he does have just one knock going into this year. And that is his age. Uh, I, and I would even say I prefer him slightly to Harris. I would put cook over Harris in my rankings uh, just for the offense that he's in. It seems more likely that he gets the 25 touchdown season than Harris. But I think if we're trying to nitpick a little bit for what, why I'm not pushing Dalvin cook, like up over wide receivers, his efficiency did decline as far as his usage in the receiving game went. Uh, he had a career low yards per route run last year at under one under 1.0 for the first time. He was at 0.85. 
And same on targets per route run, just 0.18. That was also a career low. So he was less efficient on his routes and he was commanding targets less often when he was running them. But I, that could just be a one-year efficiency blip. We do see these types of things all the time. You don't want to get too wrapped up in trying to read the tea leaves on guys' career arcs. Uh, Cook's age is ele- elevated for a juggernaut. It, 27 would tie him for the oldest to do it, but it, it is only one standard deviation away from the mean. We It would not be crazy at all if we saw Dalvin Cook be a juggernaut. So I am happy to take him in the late first. Yeah, and we'll talk about some younger running backs in a little bit, but um, I, we've been talking about it all offseason where you're going to have to make a decision on these aging running backs and if you can get one more year out of them. And Dalvin Cook, combination of past production and future outlook and age, he's about as good a bet as anyone. So he's someone I have not drafted nearly enough this offseason. I'm not sure if I've taken them at all. I just thought these legal issues were going to come back, but they haven't, and I, I need to change that. I need to start drafting Dalvin Cook because he's pretty good value there at the end of the first round. Um, so let's get to number nine ADP, uh, Jamar Chase. Uh, he's the one that I do actually have above Najee Harris, so I've got Jamar at number seven. Um, I understand the concerns with him. Obviously, lots of positives, though. Um, what do you got on Chase here? Yeah, just one last thing on Dalvin Cook. I, I've been the same way. I hadn't drafted much of him until I did the study, and then I saw it and was like, well, he has a ceiling. I don't want to deny that. I'm going to start taking him some. Um, yeah. But on, on Jamar Chase, uh, I think he is the wide receiver you could make the case has the widest range of outcomes. Um, we, I think we could potentially see a step back if the touchdown efficiency goes down but i think more likely is he takes a step forward as far as target share goes i think the bengals are going to be throwing a lot more in general this year especially with burrow another year off of that acl injury uh so if i'm placing bets on which wide receiver is gonna break 2,000 yards i i think chase is probably the best bet i think he's the highest ceiling option of this trio of first round wide receivers. So it, I guess if you're very specifically not wanting to risk a running back injury, but you still want access to a really high ceiling in the first round, I think Jamar Chase is where you get it. Yeah. Personally for me, I think he's one of those picks. You just close your eyes and you take him, and you, you don't look at any of the, the knocks on him really, because uh, he, he's expressed um, that he wants to line up all over the field this year. I, I think the coaches are going to let him do that. They're, there's this industry consensus that um, Zach Taylor is an idiot, I think, for the Bengals. And while he certainly does some things that frustrates me, um, it's hard to argue with the results and uh, the, you know, kind of 1B coach and Joe Burrow. So I, as, as long as Joe Burrow is throwing the ball to Jamar Chase, I think he could finish as a wide receiver one any season. So, yeah, I'm I'm taking him at uh, six, I believe. And if you wanted to take him as a first receiver, I, I wouldn't push back much either. So. Um, wow. Back to back Bengals here. This is exciting. ADP 10, Joe Mixon. Um, this is one that really opened our eyes when we, when you submitted this article, uh, I was not expecting him to grade out this well. Yeah, I am so ready for Joe Mixon to own me this year. Uh, he, so he only has one knock in this process. As I mentioned before, uh, the only knock for him is his age. He's going to be 26 at the end of the year. His target share just gets in over the threshold. Uh, I'm personally not convinced on Joe Mixon. I don't think that his target share has really any potential to spike in the way that we probably want it or need it to. Uh, if you, so you were just talking about, uh, people thinking Zach Taylor is like a 
crazy coach and makes irrational decisions. I, I think one of the bigger narratives to that point is stemming back from the Super Bowl when Samaji Pirine was handed the ball on the last on the Bengals' last offensive play. Uh, pe- people think that Joe Mixon should just be on the field on all three downs in all situations, and that Mixon is a more electric player, uh, so, sort of than any other option at any point. Uh, but if, if you look at the numbers, that's not necessarily true. If you're looking at, uh, Joe Mixon's receiving production and his efficiency. So Mixon averaged 1.05 yards per route run last year. And the combination of Samaje P Ryan and Chris e- and Chris Evans averaged 1.52 yards per route run. And that, that wasn't on a much smaller sample. That was only 70 fewer routes, uh, compared to Mixon's 400 something. So it, I don't think it's crazy that the Bengals have largely phased Joe Mixon out on third downs and are looking to P Ryan and hopefully Evans, I think is who we're more excited about looking to Evans and P Ryan to pick up the slack there. So if, if that is the case this year, I don't think Joe Mixon has much of a way to become a juggernaut. He has to do it the way Jonathan Taylor just did really, which again, obviously possible. We just saw it. Uh, we expect the Bengals to probably be a better offense than the Colts were last year. So if you want to get yourself there on a touchdown spike in rushing efficiency, maybe that's what we see. Uh, but I, I, this is, he's the one that I find myself arguing against my own process on. And <laughs> Jonathan Taylor was that guy last year. So maybe, maybe that's all that you need to know from this whole podcast. Yeah. I mean, the Bengals offense could just be better than last year, which sounds a little crazy because they made the Super Bowl, but they really rode their defense down the stretch and um, they had some explosive offensive games, but they could be more consistent all season. He could score a ton of touchdowns. They like running it when they get in close. So I agree with everything you said. Uh, They tried to give him this passing role. Um, as, as recently as last year and phased him out. Chris Evans looked really good, really fast in the preseason game. I, he's not – you don't get hyped about him that he's going to take work from Mixon. I think he's just going to replace P. Ryan hopefully, in the passing game. Mixon's still going to have his role. But I, I think Mixon maybe is a um, a lesser version of the Jonathan Taylor talk, like you mentioned, um, only at pick 10. It's like if it's your home league, you want a running back in the first round, I have a hard time seeing Joe Mixon really disappointing you this year. If you really need like a breakout season from Mixon, then yes, that's where I start to worry about that just because of the receiving work. But, I mean, your model does like him. So, I mean, maybe we should just blindly draft him. Uh, kind of like I said with Chase, like if your model likes him, we should probably get some shares of him. Yeah, I, I guess I just need to get on board with him. It's sure. it, Yeah, I, I mean, I was drafting Antonio Gibson over Jonathan Taylor even last year, even though my process said that I should like them equally. So we, we can see how that turned out for me. So may, maybe I need to not be fading Mixon as hard as I am. Trust the process, Ryan. Trust the process. All right. Uh, uh, ADP of 11 here, Devontae Adams. Um, what do you got here for Devontae Adams? Are you um, bumping some uh, running backs up above him or is this a good spot for him? Yeah, I wouldn't be taking a ton of Adams at pick 11. Part of that is because I just prefer Stefan Diggs straight up uh, being in on the same team and in basically the same situation. We could see Adams have a little more trouble earning targets this year. I mean, he is competing with Renfro and Darren Waller. Those are real NFL caliber players yeah. as far as earning targets. There was not a whole lot of that in Green Bay the last few years. Obviously, Devontae Adams is maybe the best wide receiver on planet Earth right now. So 
hard to completely fade him, but it, yeah, I would rather have digs over him. I would even push up at least one running back that we're going to get to over him. So I, but I, it's hard for me to take much issue with you drafting Devonte Adams on the turn like that. It's not an exciting pick to me, but it's not necessarily a wrong pick. Yeah. And then to round out the first round fantasy pros ADP is Stefan Diggs, Like you mentioned, um, another receiver, um, kind of same as with these other receivers we've talked about. Um, anything to add here with, uh, Stefan Diggs? Not really. Uh, he, as I said, he's obviously in the better offense. He's in essentially the same situation as last year. We think maybe Gabe Davis can do some work on the intermediate routes, maybe take some of the pressure off with all those two high safety looks that NFL defenses have started running against the bills lately. So I am happy to take digs over Adams over Mixon. He he's one that I've sort of pushed up my board in the first round. I'm going to have a lot of exposure to him this year. So I, it's, it's hard to say that he's going to be significantly better than Devonte Adams. I, I don't think that there's that great of a case for either over the other. I, I think you're really just taking fairly safe shots on really dominant wide receivers and there, there's nothing much more to say about it. Yeah. Okay. So before we get on to round two, those are the top 12 fantasy pros, ADPs, just focusing on the running backs here. Um, which one do you think is the most mispriced or you would change the most or whatever after this juggernaut RB study? Um, the most mispriced running back in the first round, in my opinion, is Austin Eckler. I think he's going too high at three overall. We just talked about Najee Harris and Dalvin Cook, who I think have better ceilings than him. But people are very much tied to taking Eckler early. Uh, I mean, if you want to go into the whole injury prone thing, Eckler has missed time. Like, I, I don't think that Eckler is a valid off ramp from Christian McCaffrey. If you're really scared of drafting a running back, that's going to get hurt. Yeah. So I, yeah, I would much more comfortably be drafting Eckler at the end of the first round. He, I would have a decent amount of him if he were going around where Joe Mixon was, for example. Okay, great. All right, so let's get into round two here. Um, we're going to go a little quicker through the non-running backs because we got a few to talk about the, at the running back position. So 13, Travis Kelsey, not much to knock him on other than his age and maybe you just don't want to spend a second round pick on a tight end. But any thoughts on here, Kelsey, compared to the running backs? Yeah, I mean, his efficiency did decline last year. So if you're running with the narrative that he's declining just because of his age, then I, I guess there is evidence for that. Uh, but I, I think we might be overthinking a little bit. Like he, he should still clearly be the number one passing game option on the Chiefs with Tyreek gone. There's not, it's very uncertain after him. So I think that going early round tight end like Travis Kelsey is a ceiling play. If you think that you're better than your league at filling in these holes and running back and wide receiver, then yeah, go go for it. Take Travis Kelsey and get make it up elsewhere by being a sharp drafter i i think that's totally in play because his ceiling is not accessible at the tight end position at after probably round two arguably round three with kyle pitts so i yeah that's that's where i'm at on him yeah i've got him at 14 overall i keep going back and forth i could move him down to as low as about 20 um i've got him at 14 for now though so i think this is a reasonable spot to take him if you want a tight end okay 14 overall 
fantasy pros ADP, DeAndre Swift. This is a fun one. All right, let's get into Swift here. Yeah, talk about confirming my priors. That <laughs> That is what this study did for me on DeAndre Swift. So his only knock is his team's projected win percentage. Uh, we, we've talked about how that, that one can be kind of tenuous because uh, obviously teams can outperform their over-under in Vegas. Uh, but for Swift, I don't think it even matters that much. Uh, he was the best running back at benefiting from negative game script last year. So 76% of the fantasy points he scored came while the Lions were trailing compared to just 64% of the Lions total plays being while they were trailing. So Swift actually liked it when the Lions were losing because he is that good of a receiver and that's how he does most of his damage in fantasy football. Uh, shout out to Jake Tribby of fantasy points uh, from his article on games, game script dependency for that stat that I, I thought was very, very illuminating on DeAndre Swift. He is most likely going to be my highest rostered player out of anybody in the first two rounds. And if you like winning, I highly recommend you take him. If you're drafting on the turn, pairing him with a receiver makes a ton of sense. I, I, yeah, I have nothing bad to say about DeAndre Swift. Yeah, I've got him at 12 overall. I think I could get him up right to nine, right where Najee Harris is. I really don't think there's a huge difference between Swift and Harris other than We've seen more durability from Harris. We haven't seen it from Swift, but we all know how much that changes from year to year. So, yeah, I love Swift. We're drafting him a ton. I, I think he's one of the poster childs of, this, of the study this year because um, if you just look at some different numbers than what you're using in the study, you could really question this ranking. But when you really dive into some of the things that actually matter for breakout running back, Swift nails every single one of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We we uh, at least in PPR formats, we don't care about rushing volume. That's not that's not really what's important. Or even just straight up snap share. I I see people throw around like running backs that were leading the position in snap percentage. Snap share doesn't matter that much. It it's what matters is which snaps you're in on. If you're in on the goal line, if you're in on the passing downs. If Swift gets in on the goal line, then watch out. The sky's the limit. Yep. And I mean, he passes your, you know, your physical profile thresholds. So I, yeah, I don't know what else you'd be looking for. So, all right. Number 15. I don't think I've taken him at all. Debo Samuel. I'd love to start drafting Debo, but there's so many things that scream regression for me. Uh, what do you think about Debo? Yeah, I largely agree with you. It seems most likely that we're going to see Debo in his wide back role. Like we saw in the second half of last year, getting a lot of carries and I, I don't think that that's good. Everybody else seems convinced that it is, but that I think that perception comes because he happened to score seven touchdowns on carries in the second half of last year. That That's not sustainable touchdown efficiency. I, if, no. Even if you just look at his total red zone opportunities from before his role changed and after he's, his role changed, the first half of the year, he had 10 total red zone opportunities. Two of those were carries. And that gave him five total touchdowns. The second half of the year, he had 12 total red zone opportunities. 11 of them were carries, but that led to nine total touchdowns. So I, I think it, this is really just a touchdown variance story with Debo Samuel. And I think people are doing themselves a disservice taking him in the second round under the assumption that his hybrid role is so valuable for fantasy football. I, I would much rather see him commanding eight or nine targets per game again. Yeah. That, that's the Debo Samuel that I would prefer for fantasy football. 
yeah, we don't really want carries when he's designated as a wide receiver. There's just, you don't get the PPR points, um, probably more injury risk. Uh, and like you said, I mean, he was just ripping off touchdowns from, even though he got those red zone carries, he was ripping off 20 yard touchdowns. I mean, the, the, the odds of that happening again are not great. I've got him eight, uh, 24 overall. That's where I feel like, okay, end of the second round, beginning of the third, I'd love to draft him there. He's just, he's never going to make it there. So I'm never going to get him. So, all right, let's get on ADP 16, Nick Chubb. Um, he's always a fun one to debate on like Reddit, on Twitter. Um, people have very different stances on Chubb. So what do you got here? Yeah, Nick, Nick Chubb, the best pure runner in the NFL. And that I, I can't remember who came up with this joke, but I, and I'm very sorry. But months ago, I saw a tweet that said that when people say a player is a really good pure runner, that, that's just a euphemism for they suck at fantasy football. So that I think that describes Nick Chubb to a T. In the juggernaut process, he's knocked for his age and he's knocked for his target share. Two knocks, probably not great outlook for his ceiling. I fade him every single year. He has never finished higher than the RB8 per game in PPR. Uh, and that includes years when Kareem Hunt has missed time. So it's, it's not as if he has this amazing contingent upside if Hunt were to get traded or to miss time again. We, we just don't see players like Nick Chubb suddenly start commanding significant target volume years into their career. It's, it, it doesn't happen. So I'm not taking Nick Chubb in the second round. Maybe you could talk me into him in the third, but by that point, I'm probably focused on the wide receiver position. Right. And, you know, I want people to listen to us. So I'm going to push back a little bit. He doesn't suck at fantasy football. Um, he, you know, he's between 15, 17 PPR points a year over the past three years. But if you just look at running backs who have had seasons better than that over the past three years, like David Montgomery's popped up with a season like that. James Robinson's popped up with a season like that. Leonard Fournette's had multiple seasons like that or better. Uh, you look right below Nick Chubb and, you know, most PPR points per game over the last three years in, in one individual season. Like James Conner basically matched his best season last year. We've seen like even Miles Gaskin over the course of a half a season. Um, DeAndre Swift's already been there. Like there's lots of players that pop up into this, this Nick Chubb range. And that's why Ryan and I aren't drafting him is because we're paying for an elite upside running back. And they're just – his range is doable from later in the draft. So you just don't need to spend that pick in the second round. Yeah, you said that way better than I could. The Nick Chubb zone is r really the point where I start losing interest in running backs. It's where they aren't elite once they get to the Nick Chubb points per game zone. You can yeah. find guys that will put up 14, 15 PPR points per game much later in drafts fairly consistently every year. So yeah, hard as you said, hard to pay that opportunity cost with Chubb in the second round. And there is more certainty, but you can even see just from your your model. I mean, he's getting up into the age where, you know, he may not last like this forever. We could see the efficiency come down. So there are reasons to think that maybe we've seen the best of him as well. I hope not. He's a fun player to watch. But, okay, ADP 17 overall on Fantasy Pros is CD Lamb. What do you got on CD? <laughs> well, we obviously have argued about CD Lamb on this podcast before. I, I don't think I have a whole lot new to say. What He's never gone over a 20% target share in either of the two years that he's been in the league, but you're drafting him like he's already an elite wide receiver producer. And I think he can be a, an elite wide receiver this year. It's totally possible. But I, I think that about a lot of players that are going in the third and even the fourth round, I, I just think CD is very mispriced. Uh, just to throw in some something new, 
Uh, CeeDee Lamb was actually worse in EPA per play, which is like a super analytics nerdy efficiency stat. Uh, He was worse in EPA per play with Amari Cooper off the field last year than he was with Cooper on the field. Uh, That's from an article by Denny Carter uh, called Splits That Matter on NBC Sports Edge or Roto World, whatever they're calling it now. So I I think there's enough concern with CD to just not take him in the second round and draft a guy like Jalen Waddell later. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to kind of say. I think it's fascinating. A couple things here is we're going to go through the rest of the second round ADP. Only one more receiver is going to pop up here. So that's interesting. It's it's CD and then it's a big drop. Um, I have CD personally higher overall than 17 here, but I also have multiple other receivers in this second round. So while I am on higher on CD, it's also because I'm just higher on all these receivers in general, like Jalen Waddle, DJ Moore, T Higgins. Like I would, I would push a bunch of these guys up into the second round. So we're kind of split on CD. That's fine. Um, but there should be more receivers in this range than there are. So we'll go through the rest of this ADP here. 18 overall, Alvin Kamara. Um, this is an interesting one. What does Juggernaut RB say about Kamara? Because he is a Juggernaut RB in the past anyway. Yeah, so as it stands right now, Kamara has three knocks for this year. Uh, one of those is his ADP. I expect his ADP to rise. It doesn't even need to rise yeah. that much before he's not getting knocked for it. So we can almost talk about him like he's a two-knock player. Uh, the the news on that was that he's unlikely to get suspended this year, by the way. That was t- yeah. today. We got another confirmation of that. So assuming Kamara is a two-knock player that will be going in like the early to mid-second, I honestly don't hate it. I'm starting to come around a little bit. Uh, it felt like he was worse last year in receiving production, and he was, but... His target share was basically the same as it was in 2020 when he was a juggernaut. His career average target share is like 20%. He's been very consistent every single year, putting up a 20% target share, even with Jameis Winston and Drew Brees going away. Like that, that didn't affect him from a target earning perspective. But what sunk him last year was that in games Camara played, the Saints averaged only 27 pass attempts last year compared to 33 in the year that Camara was a juggernaut. So the Saints need to throw more. The offense needs to open up. It would be nice if they could actually get into the red zone occasionally too. That Camara would appreciate that, I'm sure. But I don't think it's impossible that the Saints kind of go back to their past heavier ways I mean, they've brought in three new wide receivers from what they had last year. I, I guess they brought back Michael Thomas, but they've added Chris Olave and Jarvis Landry. It seems like they have the personnel now to have a more aggressive passing attack. So I don't hate it. I don't think Kamara is a great bet for a juggernaut ceiling. Two knocks is still an uncommon juggernaut profile. But if, if I compare him to somebody like Austin Eckler, who is going a full round and a half later, Kamara looks pretty good just as a running back that you think has a pretty high floor and could maybe push up towards juggernaut territory at the very least. Yeah, a few interesting things with Kamara. I was going to mention, if you if you take one of his knocks off, if he rises in ADP, which would take off a knock, which I think could totally happen. Um, I have him ranked 15 overall, and I'm not even all that high on him. I think you could pretty easily move him up to 13 overall without thinking. Um, so there's definitely room for his ADP to grow. But if you do get him in the two-knock range, then he's in the range with Austin Eckler, uh, Nick Chubb, and Leonard Fournette. Spoiler alert. 
So um, th- that's his comparisons. Now, I think the difference with him is that, like you said, 2020, he was a juggernaut, 25 points per game. Um, we definitely saw them run the ball more with him last year as opposed to passing the ball. His rushing attempts per game went from about 12 a game in the previous two years to over 18 a game last year. So we don't want to see that from Kamara, especially hitting age 27. We still want to see that passing game work. I'm pretty down on the Saints in general. Um, but if this suspension is really not happening, then we need to start drafting Kamara beginning of the second round. And it's probably a steal of, of three or four spots, even even at that location in draft. Yeah, agree completely. I, I have also just kind of been full fading the Saints all offseason, um, but I'm coming around to the idea that that's probably been a mistake and I need to fix it. So, yeah, Kamara is not like the greatest ceiling, but I think he's definitely a value in the late second. Yeah, I'm still fine fading the Saints as a whole. I, I I haven't gotten there yet. Nobody has talked me into the Saints being a good offense. I just I just don't see it. But uh, Kamara, I think Kamara is the exception in that sentence, and I will start drafting a little more Kamara. So um, let's get to ADP 19 overall. Aaron Jones, this one pains me. I've been drafting him forever. Although I will say you usually don't have to spend true juggernaut ADP on Aaron Jones. So I've gotten plenty of nice return out of him, but um, it's starting to look a little sketchy here with Aaron Jones. Yeah, you are the Aaron Jones guy. I forget about that. That was like your original brand. Um, yeah. So Jones has four knocks right now. Uh, it ter- turns out that taking away the draft capital from the study di- didn't really help him out that much. Yeah. So he's getting knocked twice for his age. He's going to be 28 at the end of the season. And he's also knocked twice for his speed score, which was just a 50th percentile. Uh, and we, we have never seen a juggernaut running back with below a 61st percentile speed score. Just wanted to point that out because I, I think speed score is one where people feel, feel like it's dicey, but it's not, it, it is predictive. Yeah. So when we look at Jones, I just don't see it, frankly. I think a lot of the case for him is kind of comes down to vacated targets, which is my favorite thing to rail against on this podcast. Everybody sees that Devontae Adams has left, that the Packers haven't brought in a lot of great receiving options, and they just assume that Aaron Jones is going to soak up all of that. And also, people assume that Alan Lazard will soak that up or Romeo Dowbs or however you say his last name. It just depends on the people you ask. Everyone thinks they know where these targets are going. Uh, I think a lot of them are going to go to A.J. Dillon. He, believe it or not, was targeted fairly heavily for a running back yeah. that played part-time last year. This is not just Aaron Jones's vacated targets to take. And I, based on the juggernaut process, it doesn't look like he has a great ceiling. So I'm not drafting him in the second round. Yeah. And what's a little scary too is Aaron Jones is one of the most efficient rushers in NFL history. Um, It's been between 4.6 and 5.5 yards per carry every year, a 5.1 career average. That was my original article on him kind of compared him to Jamal Charles, just in efficiency. I mean, he's the most, the eighth most efficient rusher all times. Aaron Jones is. Um, you take out some quarterbacks ahead of him. He's the fifth most efficient running back. Now, he hasn't had that late stage decline that'll sap those numbers eventually. But the scary part for me is that he's already as efficient as he can get just about. And we still haven't really seen that true elite, elite year in the last few years. So I agree with you. I would be shocked to see his best fantasy season this year. Uh, and I think a lot of people are kind of pegging him for that with all the issues you mentioned in Green Bay. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of fading Aaron Jones. I prefer him in my second round range, thank or third round range. Thank you very much. That's where I'd rather draft him. So, um, I think the next one we can go through pretty quickly here. 
Uh, number 20, Tyree Kill. We're both a lot lower on him than this. So uh, probably for, for purposes of this discussion, insert your next favorite wide receiver here, right? Because we're, we're not drafting Hill at 20. Yeah, I think I think Hill's the one player in the first two rounds I have actually zero of. Yeah, I, I almost prefer Waddle straight up, as we talked about last week. Yeah, T. Higgins, too. I'd take T Higgins over him personally. So, all right. You mentioned speed score earlier, and this one might've opened my eyes more than any on this list. Um, ADP 21 overall, Javante Williams. I, I, I'm still drafting him occasionally when I can get a nice value on him. I really want this to happen with Javante Williams, but um, speed score is a concern here for him. So what, what does your juggernaut RV study say about him? Yeah, you and everybody else in the fantasy industry really want Javante Williams to happen. And I get it. He's an exciting player he's fun to watch uh but in the juggernaut process right now he has three knocks one of those is for his adp and then he has a double knock for his speed score uh he had just a 40th percentile speed score obviously that's not really the type of player that williams is he more gets it done on broken tackles and yards after contact and that that's fine but it does make it harder for him to post a truly freakish season uh but that said if we are creating a scenario in our heads where Melvin Gordon is just phased out and we somehow know that before week one, which causes Williams' ADP to shoot up to like the one-two turn, uh, then I am taking him seriously as a juggernaut candidate. We have seen two knock juggernauts before. Uh, Williams is in his the second year of his career. That is the most common career year for juggernaut seasons. I, I think it's totally possible. And what I mentioned earlier about snap percentage, it, this really applies to Williams the most. I think it's totally fine if Williams plays 55% of the snaps, if it's a 55-45 split. What matters is that Williams is in on the goal line and yeah. that he is running routes and is in on passing downs. I, I don't care who gets the 10 carries for 45 yards in between the 20s. That Melvin Gordon can have those all he wants. Uh, it and Javante Williams can still post a great season. So as of now, I am drafting Williams some just kind of under the assumption that there's a lot of contingent upside here, uh, but I am not taking him seriously as a juggernaut candidate until we see that ADP move up because of some sort of signal or improvement in his touch distribution. Yeah, he's kind of an int interesting uh, contrast to Joe Mixon, I think, where um, we've kind of already seen a target share from Javante that's just as good as anything Mixon's done. So we've got that nice passing game boost from Javante. I think we can see that uh, develop further with Russell Wilson around. Um, but then you kind of flip them on the the speed score where Mixon had an elite one coming out. Javante's is a concern. Um, and, and really just, you know, you can just think about that watching these games. Like it could limit Javante on big plays. You're really going to have to hit those touchdowns and, and volume target totals. So that's kind of the concerns. If you're not getting long runs from Javante, I mean, we've seen like David Montgomery, not to compare Javante to David Montgomery, but he breaks a lot of tackles. He's got a poor speed score. So it's a lot of work to get like four five, six yards for him. And that kind of doesn't lead to those huge, huge fantasy seasons. So that's the concern with Javante. I agree with you though. I'm still interested, still going to draft him some, but we might just need to lower the ceiling on him. So that's where I'm at. Okay. We got a quarterback at 22 overall, Josh Allen, fantasy pros, 22 overall. Um, I'm not taking him here, but, uh, I suppose it makes sense here. I don't know. What do you got? 
Yeah, I, I'm not taking him here either. The, the absolute earliest I would take Allen is in round three, and that's only if I also drafted Diggs in the first round and I'm trying to stack. Uh, you, you can get ceilings that are similar to Allen's multiple rounds later. There's Lamar Jackson, there's Jalen Hurts, there's Kyler Murray, all going in rounds four through six. So I Or even Trey Lance even later, Justin Fields, if you really want to get dicey like that. You can find ceiling at quarterback later than round two. I, I think it's harder to find ceiling later at the position than it was a couple of years ago, but it yeah. is you don't need to draft a guy in round two. Yeah, you can still wait till sixth round, seventh round, eighth round. There's still some people around there. We'll see where Trey Lance goes. That's that's who I'm eyeing. So, yeah, but I've got Josh Allen 35 overall. I don't even know how often I'm pulling the trigger there, but that's more of my range. A little similarly here, uh, Mark Andrews 23 overall ADP. I actually have him 34 overall in, in my rankings, so I'm not going to draft a ton of Mark Andrews. I totally get it, but uh, it's just not my team-building strategy. Anything to add on Andrews? Yeah, I my opinion on Andrews kind of shifted when I was doing research for this. Uh, he didn't have a crazy outlier year as far as efficiency goes. Uh, he His sophomore year was actually much more efficient than any of his other years, including last year. The reason he was so good in fantasy last year is because he ran so many more routes than he ever has before. And most of that is because of how much the Ravens passed last year. So if you think the Ravens are going to continue to throw it, not even as much, but still a, like a normal NFL offense this year, then you should probably take Mark Andrews in the second round. I think he's a good bet if that, if that's the case. So I, I think it, it's really just, do you think the Ravens are going to return to their very run heavy ways? Uh, if, if yes, then you're not drafting Mark Andrews. If, if no, then yeah, you should draft him. All right. This is it. ADP 24 overall. I know you've been waiting for this one. Saquon Barkley. Let's let's hear it. Juggernaut Saquon Barkley. Is he back? He is. So his only knock right now is his ADP. So if, if that were to rise, then he would look like, honestly, an even better candidate than Najee Harris or ab- about as good. Uh, Sa- Saquon is back. We've talked about him a lot on this podcast I think that he is the best player that you can pick in round two. Apparently his ADP on fantasy pros is right at the very end. So if you're in a casual home league draft and you can just get Barkley and pair him with whatever elite receiver that you got in the first round, I think that's the absolute best way to start a draft off because Barkley's ceiling really is at juggernaut level. He looks amazing in speed score. He will only be 25 at the end of the season. We've seen him be a juggernaut before during his rookie year. That was when he commanded a 21% target share. The Giants even are implied at seven and a half wins this year. That's enough for him to even avoid getting knocked for win total. And even similar to Swift, I, I think that if the Giants are losing, it's totally possible that he can just score more points in negative game scripts with a passing game role. So I'm all over Saquon Barkley. He's probably the only player that's going to rival Swift for me as far as roster ship. And I suggest you get on board too. Yeah. So his detractors out there are screaming, well, he has a hundred percent speed or a hundred percentile speed score, but that was before all the injuries. And I, while I do kind of agree that with that argument to some extent, um, it's the best we've got right now. And until we get like GPS tracking data that can tell how hard everyone's running and what max percentage they're running, and we can kind of compare everyone as they go throughout their career, uh, this is the best we've got. And it has shown to be very reliable. So 
I need to move him up my rankings. I've got him right around here in my ranks. Um, I've got some running backs. I need to bump him over. So yeah, I, I think I feel okay with that though. I've been kind of letting this off season develop and let's make sure he's not toast first. And every, like we said a million times, everything the giants are doing right now are saying that they're going to feed him the ball. So I need to start drafting more Saquon. And, you know, I, I still think as long as we can just keep him on the field, that passing volume, it's going to give him a better floor than most people think. It's, he's seen as a scary option, but if he's catching passes, he's going to be playable no matter what. Yeah, I, I don't think that the Giants are going to be bringing Matt Breida on the field for third downs to give Saquon a breather like that. That that just doesn't make any sense. If, if they go out, if they had gone out and they had signed like a Justin Jackson, like I suggested early in, earlier in the offseason, then I could understand people saying, okay, maybe we're not seeing the full workhorse Saquon Barkley we're used to. But I think all indications show that we are. And I would be happy to take Barkley straight up over Alvin Kamara, uh, over Nick Chubb, and over Javante Williams right now. I, I think I would bump him just right underneath DeAndre Swift pretty much. So if if you had to draft Saquon at the turn, I'm actually okay with that. All right, love it. So we snuck one extra in. Uh, this is 25th, 25th overall in ADP, um, but he made sense to include in this this talk here. So we've got Leonard Fournette, one of the more perplexing, I don't know, NFL and fantasy careers in the recent history. I, I don't even know what to make of him, but he's on a Tom Brady offense, and that's probably all we care about, right? Yeah, it it basically is all we care about. Looking at him in the juggernaut process, he only has two knocks. Uh, as you mentioned, that is equivalent to someone like Nick Chubb or Austin Eckler. Uh, those knocks are for his ADP, which right now is just over 24. I don't really see him spiking up. I think we can safely assume that that's where he's going to be drafted all like all preseason. And then his other knock is just for his age, that he's 27 at the end of the year. So his, his speed score looks great. He's commanded a 17% target share before the bucks are projected to be good. I, there's not much else to nitpick with him. I'm happy to use Leonard Fournette as an off ramp as my RB one. Let's say I drafted in the top three and took Justin Jefferson and Saquon Barkley isn't there when it gets back to my pick. I'm happy to just take Fournette as my RB one. I think he's the last running back that has a real ceiling that has even a prayer of making it to juggernaut status before like the running back dead zone really sets in. So I, I wanted to make sure we talked about him and I'm happy to draft him. Yeah. I guess if you want to nitpick, he's just above the cutoff for a second knock, right. For ADP. Um, so he's pretty close to getting a, a third knock there, but you, you said that you can't see him moving up. I, I don't think he's going to do anything that causes him to move up, but it's certainly possible that people get scared off of Javante Williams or maybe, uh, uh, you know, a receiver falls or a tight end falls. So he could kind of just move up a few spots just from players above him falling off. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he's pretty locked in there. Um, I know this isn't in the notes, but like, what do you see the differences between him and like, say, a James Conner who goes in this area or Ezekiel Elliott? Is it is it really just this role with Tom Brady in the passing game? Like, I think that's what sets him apart, right? Yeah, that's where the ceiling really comes from. I, I mean, if you're looking at Elliott, uh, he he kind of in the process does look a lot like Leonard Fournette, just with a slightly lower ADP. Uh, I I think Zeke's ADP on like sharper sites is much lower than early third as it is on Fantasy Pros. So yeah. I'm pretty content with just calling Zeke a dead zone running back. Yeah. Uh, and then for Connor, uh, his 
big knock is speed score. He had just a 65th percentile. He's the same age as Fournette. Um, and obviously he is being drafted later as well. So I, I think Fournette is mostly set apart by the target share. And I think that's why he's being drafted higher than those guys. So that kind of feeds into itself as far as the juggernaut process goes. Okay. And any quick hitters you want to talk about that we have not mentioned in these top 25 ADP rankings, or is that pretty much cover your, your juggernaut uh, running back study? That pretty much covers it. Uh, people, when I do this article, usually ask if there are players that are going later that I like. Uh, so I, obviously I don't think these are juggernaut candidates because they're not being drafted early enough for it to really be a very likely event. Uh, but I do really like Reese Hall. I do really like Travis Etienne. Uh, Etienne's ADP, I think, is coming down a little bit now uh, with James Robinson see- seeming to be around. I don't think he's a real threat to Etienne. So if I am drafting like dead zone running backs in rounds three through six, uh, th- those are probably the two that I would be going with is Hall and Etienne. Uh, and that is b- because they look good in the juggernaut process and also just because I think they have ceilings that are really attainable, unlike some of the other players like the James Connors and the Antonio Gibsons. Okay. And real quick here, I want to put you on the spot, but which of these running backs from the first two rounds gets your stamp of approval for juggernaut running back? Like just, just list them off here. Who, who are your juggernauts? Sure. So my juggernauts in, I guess, in ADP order are going to be Jonathan Taylor, uh, Najee Harris, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon. Uh, I Yeah, I'll put him in. I've talked myself into it, I guess. DeAndre Swift and Saquon Barkley. Those are all of the names that have one or less knocks. So those are the best bets from what we've seen historically to put up juggernaut seasons. So those are the names I'd target if that's all you want out of this podcast. <laughs> Perfect. And I know we talked about McCaffrey earlier. It's not that he can't be a juggernaut. It's it's kind of like a scratch-off lottery ticket at this point. It, it may not have a great odds of hitting, but it is going to hit really big what it does. So he's kind of his own just whole category this season, McCaffrey is. so. Okay, Ryan. Well, you crushed it with this article. You crushed it with this podcast. Uh, you don't have to say anything more, but uh, here's your last shot before we get out of here. What, what do you got left? You just ready for bed at this point? <laughs> I am ready for bed. I am ready to get into the sit-start sort of uh, routine that w- is going to be happening once the season starts up. I'm very excited to be here on this podcast all year. So if you're sick of hearing my voice, I, I'm sorry. You, you, you're going to have to get over it. But that's a perfect ending. That, that's all about, about all I got here. So I hope you enjoyed this one. I think this was a fun one, and um, I'm glad the way this one worked out. So um, otherwise, like I said, check out the website for what we saw preseason. You don't want to watch all these preseason games. We did. So just check out the highlights that we wrote up for you. Other than that, uh, we will be back. We'll probably do a couple quick podcasts on QB ranks and tight end ranks. I don't think we need a full uh, 45 minutes or an hour on each. So we'll probably have a couple half an hour episodes coming on those soon. But until then, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you soon.